I guess it was four or so, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, I was talking to Christy and said, you know what, I'm just, I'm not quite sure what I should do with Mother's Day this year, sermon-wise. Um, I mean, every year there is, in churches all across the land, the expectation that on Mother's Day, well, there is a Mother's Day sermon. Um, and every year I think, okay, now what do I say that I haven't said before? Um, and I already used the trick last year of making Jay do it. Um, so I gave him the Mother's Day sermon last year. Like, okay, I probably shouldn't do that again, because um, I, I can only get away with that so many times. Um, so, and people start to notice. <laughs> but, um, and so, to me, well, remember about three years ago, there was a video that you showed about some of the uh, less than, than glamorous aspects of being a mother, and sort of the, the real nature of, of life, and not the way we might idealize things. And that got me thinking, and that's sort of what this whole little series, starting last week, about the realities of that first day of being a disciple, uh, things, not everything changing quite so quick as you think it will, and, and what we'll be talking about next week as well. Um, this whole series built around some of the the crueler and less glamorous realities of, of real life. And so, as you think about the, the not-so-glamorous life of motherhood, now first, before I get any further, I want to, even though I did use it you know, a few years ago, I thought it was worth taking a look at again, the, uh, the video that we used before. A step-by-step guide to experience the life of a mother. To start off this experience, go to the kitchen and fill a gallon-sized bag with water. Carry that 10-pound bag of water around from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wake up at midnight. Wake up at 3 a.m. Wake up at 6 a.m. and get ready for work. Look cheerful and be a productive member of society. To understand what it's like to feed a nine-month-old, take a melon, cut a hole in it, and suspend it from the ceiling. Swing it from side to side and attempt to spoon soggy oatmeal in the hole. Forget about owning a sports car. The humble minivan is the official vehicle of motherhood. To make it look like a real family vehicle, take an entire package of cookies and smash them all over the van. You're ready to go to the grocery store. For this experience, take the closest thing to a preschool child you can find. A full-grown goat is an excellent choice. Be sure to pay for and clean up any messes that are caused by the goat.
In the end, any mother will say that it's all worth it and that she wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Just remember, a good sense of humor is one of the most important things you need to be a mom. So, yes, the, the not-so-glamorous life of, of motherhood. And, and rather than come up with, you know, those are a pretty good list of examples there, but I wanted a few more, and rather than me coming up with my own, because that would be a little insincere, not being a mother, I, I asked the mother of my children to come up with some ideas, and she, she went one better, and she uh, put the call out on Facebook. So I think some of you actually in here, among others, uh, contributed some. And I just picked a few of the highlights out of this list, of some of the aspects of the less-than-glamorous life of, of motherhood. Changing diapers, manual nose cleanings for kids who can't or won't blow, um, the bedtime and bath time battles, getting up in the middle of the night to replace the blanket that fell off or was kicked off because, for some reason, the kid can't just put it back on. Um, and then, of course, that carpet-colored Lego that you discover on your way back to bed. Um, you discover, you know, the hard way. Uh, finding things uh, like worms in pants pockets after a fishing trip. Um, someone mentioned the pet roly-polies that were found in the bed, um, or what was left of them. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Um, the various rocks and piles of gravel found pretty much anywhere you can imagine or even places you probably couldn't imagine. Uh, the Play-Doh found in every crack and crevice of a house that no chisel will seem to, to pry loose. Uh, the less than warm reception to that hard work that you did to prepare that healthy dinner. Um, I like this one. Apologizing to the neighbors after receiving a nice bunch of wildflowers that weren't so wild, which is why you had to apologize <laughs> to the neighbors. But there's also in that list, you know, there were funny ones, but there were also the tougher ones as well. Watching your child fail and not really being able to do anything about it watching their heart get broken, staying up all night with a sick child, staying calm for a hurt child who doesn't really understand why you can't just make it better, the tough note that comes home from school and then the tough conversation that has to follow it, the strange mix of pride and heartache as they pack up and leave for college when the worries of when they were little don't seem to go away, they just seem to multiply about a hundred times. And I'm sure we get, there were lots more on there. If I, I'm never on Facebook, so I don't know if you can find the rest of this list somehow, but I don't know, ask Christy. But we could go on and on and on. We could, I could spend the rest of my time up here just listing all of the amazing and heartbreaking and trivial yet valuable things that are just part of the everyday experience of motherhood. But as I go through that list, it kind of reminds me of another list found in Scripture that we looked at just a little while ago. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come and visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I love that list, that sheep and goats list. And we talk about that passage a lot. But the things that Jesus highlights, that these are the things that, let me, that show me that you're my disciple. These are the acts of love from kingdom people. Feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, naked the visiting the sick and in prison. This is not like the superhero list we might expect. We think the ones who are to be the most praised by the king when he comes in glory are the one who does these just amazing and miraculous things. Of course, as an aside, we can look earlier in Matthew when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It wasn't the one that could claim, oh, we did these big, amazing things for you, Lord. Those aren't the ones that Jesus knows. Those aren't the ones who have shown their love for their Savior and their love for their neighbor. No, it's the one who has done the small things, the mundane things, the things that we might just overlook. It's those true acts of everyday love. Those are the mark, well, I'd say of motherhood, but also those are the mark of the true disciple. So it wasn't hard to go from this idea of motherhood to this idea of true discipleship, because they really hold one thing very much in common, and that's love. The small, everyday acts of love and devotion, that when you pile them all up together, they're not so small, are they? When they're done every day, day in and day out, hour by hour, the things that could only be done because of love. Because otherwise, they would be maybe seem too small or maybe even too inconvenient. Because really, one of the unspoken truths, or at least not spoken enough truths about love, maybe even the dirty little secret of love, is that it is made up of regular inconvenience and infrequent glory. We think about acts of love as these great, powerful things. We think about like the, the big climactic moment of a movie where just this amazing thing has happened and you just feel so good and you that's nice for a story but where love is really shown is not in the climactic moment but in every moment before it and every moment after it and in each of those moments where they filled with love and devotion that's true as a parent and that's true as a disciple. If we want to see where love is, if we want to see if that love and devotion is present, it's not in the big things. I mean, the big things are nice, you know. It's nice to, to think back and remember the big moments. But the things that are revealed in that spotlight, in those big attention-getting moments, well, the only thing that that spotlight's going to reveal 
is the character and the love that was forged in those everyday mundane items that shaped us into who we are. You see, we have a natural inclination, I think, to, to desire a dramatic experience when we, in, just in life in general, but especially when we practice our faith. We want something big and flashy and that just fills us so full with emotion we feel like we're going to burst. Though, if you've ever like, lived like that on a constant basis, it's kind of exhausting, honestly. <laughs> but I think that we've forgotten sometimes, or when we desire that at least, I think we've forgotten that the gospel itself, it's pretty dramatic in and of itself. We don't need to add our own drama to make the story of God more dramatic and more exciting. Which is why in a weird kind of paradox, the core of the Christian life, both our individual lives and our corporate lives, our lives together as people of faith, when you think about it, it is extremely repetitive. But that's a good thing. (laughs) Because, see, we're formed by what we continually do. Just think as an example, um, it's the corporate example is much easier than the individual examples, but our regular practices together. Every week, we come together in this same room with roughly the same mix of people. I don't know, we don't travel a lot here, so you never know. It's about a third of the people are about the same, and the other two-thirds is a rotating mix. But basically, we get together with the same group of people every week, and then as we get together, we pretty much do the same things. Every time we get together, we sing songs, maybe not the same songs every week, but we sing songs of praise and, and encouragement to one another and to God. We, we say prayers together. We observe the Lord's Supper every week when we come together. We, you know, we, we tell the story of Jesus every time we come together through the actions that we take around the table. We hear a lesson of some sort from the word of God being proclaimed. We, we give of our means. We have fellowship and conversation and connection with one another. Really, if you come here on a Sunday morning, you pretty much know what to expect. And see, sometimes we have this tendency when we have any kind of, of routine. We can start to resent that routine somewhere deep down, even if we don't acknowledge it. We can start to grow tired of that routine. But I think that only happens when we start to believe that the routine is all that there is. When we start to see the external things, the actions that we take on a regular basis, and we see them in and of themselves as the whole of what we're doing. Because see, that resentment comes when we forget the larger reality. See, if we as parents start to resent the the constant acts of of service and humility that we do on behalf of our children, or if as Christians we start to resent these mundane and repetitive acts of faith, I don't think it's for a lack of love, but I do think it might be for a lack of vision. Because when we can only see the things that we do, these small everyday things, these small everyday acts of love and devotion, when we see them as nothing but themselves. We can become blind to the thing that we're actually building, the thing that we're really doing. We need the ability to patiently play out this grand drama 
This grand story of God, an ability to play it out in the everyday, the repetitive, the mundane. Because, well, I want to be a little more clear on the title that I gave this sermon, Daily Grind. When you hear that phrase, if you're like me, I think most of us think about something that is, is tedious. You know, the, the, the normal connotation of this idea of daily grind is one of the tedium and, and drudgery, thing that you just do because you have to do but you don't want to do and you can't wait to be done with it. But I hope we can change our perspective a little bit on this idea. Have a, another kind of grinding in mind. I don't know, maybe you had one of these as a kid too. But when I was a kid, I had this little machine this little, as a rock tumbler. Anybody ever have a rock tumbler as a kid? A few of us? Okay, a handful. Um, it was basically, I remember it very clearly how it was like this red cylinder. Um, I don't know if yours was red. Yours was red. Okay, maybe they're all red. I think maybe there's one company that makes these and they're all identical. Who knows? Um, so, but there was this little red cylinder that kind of attached into this, I think it was a gray base, and there was a motor on the side. And you put these rocks of various types into the, into the cylinder along with different levels of, of you know, fine grit of, of various types, sort of like, you know, a powdered form of sandpaper, basically. Um, and you pour it in there, you put some water in there, and then you turn it on, and it just starts turning and turning and turning and driving your parents crazy with that noise that goes for hours and hours and hours. But over time, and then over successive levels of, of, uh, of, of grits that you put in there, finer and finer and finer, it grinds these rough, kind of, you know, ugly-looking rocks. And I mean, I grew up in North Georgia, so like everything was, you know, granite. So there's like nothing much to work with. Every once in a while, you get some cool rocks to, to put in there. There's a lot of quartz, too, but that didn't really polish very well. But anyway, you take these things that are kind of rough and kind of ugly and, you know, not really much of anything, and it changes them somehow. It, it, it knocks down those rough and, and jagged edges. And I always thought it was the, the coolest thing, um, how that, that grinding process, that polishing and that smoothing process made something beautiful out of something ordinary. Now, when I was growing up, you know, I went from the rock tumbler to like a bench grinder. Now, that was a lot of fun. That was what I really wanted when I was a kid. You know, but I remember when I was, especially when I was in, in, in furniture school, back, you know, and, and you would take, you know, our chisels and, and the blades to our planes, and we'd take them, you know, these, you know, new items that didn't really have a good edge on them, and we'd get them lined up just right, you know, these different wheels on these bench grinder, and you'd take something that was rough and not really much of, much of a use. You know, you take a new chisel out of a box, and you start trying to do really fine precision work with it, trying to cut a joint with this really, you know, it's like this edge won't even be straight, it won't be sharp enough, you'll, nothing good will come of this, and you'll probably just end up hurting yourself. But then you take it over to that grinder, a bench grinder, and you can smooth it out, you can get it nice and straight, you get just the right angle of the bevel that you need, and then after that, you go to, to other finer polishing stones, grinding stones, and you just get it, you know, the back flatter and flatter, that bevel sharper and sharper, until you can just, you can see yourself, there's this mirror edge to that bevel, and you can do something amazing with such a simple tool. These simple things, pieces of metal, just these ordinary rocks, that over time, and these ordinary processes are ground down and changed into something beautiful. You see, the daily grind, whenever we think about the daily grind of life, 
whether it's in as parents, whether it's as Christians, whatever it is, as an employee, wherever we go, that we start to feel this routine and this mundane nature of things. Well, I'm not going to try and tell you that like, oh no, everything's exciting and nothing is really boring in the life of Christ. Nothing, nothing is ever really ordinary once you're a disciple. Well, yeah, some things are and they should be. Because those ordinary, everyday things, they might be no less ordinary, but they become so much more valuable. They do so much more good for us when we're going through this daily grind as a disciple, with a purpose, with love driving our every action. Those everyday acts of love toward God and toward our neighbor. You know, they might not always be fun. They might not always be exciting. And honestly, they're probably not always going to be pleasant. But what they do is they chip away at those rough, jagged edges of the flesh, of our natural selves that honestly isn't much to look at. And they reveal something within us that's beautiful. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and once you get past, well, really in the Beatitudes as well, but as you get past the, the section on the, of the Beatitudes, and I'm not going to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount again. I spent months doing that not that long ago. But as you go through the different aspects of life that Jesus talks about, and the different things, you know, you've heard it said this, but let me, let me tell you what it's really about. Let me tell you how kingdom people act. In sort of a, a broad brushstroke here, He says, no, don't hate, but go and be reconciled, even to your enemy. Don't let the flesh take charge of you, but be disciplined with your body and your mind. You know, don't make grand promises and take these oaths, but just speak the simple truth. Don't demand your rights, but instead seek to serve even your enemy, even the one who would take your rights from you. Seek to serve them. Don't just love those whom you want to love. Don't just love those who it's easy to love, but love everyone. And don't just give and and pray and fast as some public display for the spotlight to be on you and your great holiness, but instead do it privately before God and let those things change you. Let him reward you instead of the world around you. You know, we look at this list and many people over the years have looked at that and said, oh, this is this idealized version of, of Christian life. This is the thing that we maybe shoot for, but it just seems so unrealistic to some people. Because, see, these are hard things. These are giving up the things that are easy and natural and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a different path. I'm going to take the harder, the grittier path. The path that's going to feel like it's wearing me down sometimes. But as we're ground down by these everyday acts of love, this is what he's trying to turn us into. He's trying to turn us into people who when we look at them, they say, wow, there's something different there. Or people who have known us for a long time and they see us over the years, they say, you know, you're not who you used to be. There's something different within you. And I'm convinced that that difference within us will only be seen if we take seriously the everyday, the mundane, the routine, the repetitive, and let it grind us and shape us and polish us. So what's seen in us is not the outside, rough, jagged edges of the flesh, but instead 
or polished down so that the beauty of Christ that dwells within us as Christians can actually be seen by those around us. Now, if you're here this morning and you're feeling rough and you're feeling jagged, (laughs) and you know there's something in you, (laughs) something beautiful, because you know that the promises of God have said that, you know, I am His, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and so the Spirit of God dwells within me, but sometimes I don't feel that polished. Well, don't underestimate the power of doing that one small, seemingly meaningless thing today. It will take off that edge a little bit. That will bring you one step closer to that glory being revealed in you. The glory of Christ being revealed in you. And don't forget that you have a family around you that wants to help mold you and shape you. In fact, it's kind of a weird metaphor, but I'm just sitting here thinking about that rock tumbler again. That it's not just the grit that's in there that polishes, it's all those rocks in there together undergoing that same process that polish each other. We can do that. We want to do that as a family today. If you need the prayers of this family, if you feel like you have just walked away from that spirit that's inside of you, from that thing of beauty that God has given you, and you know that you need it back, we'll know that God has never left you even if you feel like you've left him. But come, and we would love to pray with you and to help restore that beauty that's within you. But if you don't have that within you, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you are trying to just get through this daily grind without purpose, if there's not that Spirit of God within you, being a child of his that's trying to get out, and you know that that's what you need, You know that you need that forgiveness. You know that you need that love that only comes from God so that your daily grind takes on a whole new meaning. So that your everyday acts are leading you towards something better, a hope and a future and a promise of God. And you'd like to take that first step into discipleship or learn more about what it is to follow Jesus. We'd love to help you with that today as well. If there's anything that we can do to help you follow your Savior for the first time, or for the hundredth time, please come and let us know what we can do for you while we stand and while we sing.